0: Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm joined today by All Time High's Abby. What's going on? Mystical Manish. <laughs> That's pretty good. How you doing, Abby?
1: Uh Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A bit, little bit of a gloomy day today in terms of weather, but um, you know, can't complain too, too much. Well, weather is
0: yeah, weather, the weather is not gloomy if you are a stock market investor, because things have seemingly almost never been better. Um, despite you know the chaos that's going on around us and, and the onslaught of bad news, uh, the markets seem to be really, really resilient. And uh, that's kind of interesting to look at. And that's kind of interesting to delve into, which is really what we're going to do today. Yeah, last week and even coming into even today, actually,
1: well, last week was a shorter trading week, but even given the shorter trading week, the markets did open up. And, uh, you know, if you were to just look at the markets, you'd think that uh, everything was rosy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, hey, uh, you know, when Donald Trump said he was going to have it open for Easter, maybe this is what he meant, you know, just have the markets (laughs) back on and (laughs) firing on all cylinders.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody's still shut in, but the markets are up.
0: Yeah. So look, I I don't believe it. um, and, And that's you know, today's going to be really a discussion about uh, where things are today. And it's going to be a discussion really about where things are going to be in the future. So the topic for today is the new normal. And this is a phrase that I've heard a couple of times when people are talking about what are we going to look like? What is the economy, the market, life going to look like on the other side of all this, right? And uh, that sort of defines what is or will be the new normal. And why I think that's such an important topic to touch upon is because when we're talking about the market, and we'll use just the S&P 500, when we're talking about that indicator and deciding if it is you know, cheap or if it's too expensive, the, really what we're talking about is how long does uh, the the COVID... Uh, damage to the economy last, and what does the economy look like on the other side of this? What becomes our new normal and I think the answer you know your belief or your way of answering that question really dictates how you're going to think about whether it is underpriced or overpriced today
1: yeah, that's very well put and i mean <clears throat> i I like that terminology new normal because. People always, or even you and I had this discussion when this whole thing started, um, you were saying that, Hey, things might never go back to normal. Um, and I, th- I, I, given that, I mean, I think you're right. What we knew as normal being in you know January or even 2019 um, will be vastly different than I think what's, what's to come, especially if I, I, I don't know if you've been outside recently, but you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit dreary when you're driving around like a, a Walmart or whatever and you're seeing, like lineups around the corner and there's like six feet between everybody. Everybody's wearing masks and gloves. I mean, it's definitely necessary, but, um, you know, it looks like, that... it looks like something out of a movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, it's, uh, it's not a good movie. Let's say that.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, it depends how it ends. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, so look, here's an interesting thought too, is that when we're talking about the new normal, it's easy to talk about it in the face of something that it's so abrupt, like, you know, the change to our lifestyles, uh, because of COVID. But realistically, there's always a new normal, right? I mean, when in 2008, they cut interest rates almost to zero. And then we, we began this like 10 year period of having super low interest rates every year. That was kind of the new normal, right? So, uh, you know, we forget that at some time people were paying, you know, 18% interest rates on a, on a mortgage for their house. And that was normal. Right. And so we became a generation of low interest rate uh, expectations and that's normal for us. Right. So, so it's, it's just normal is always changing. It's just, we don't always stop to reflect on it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and the 2008 example is a great one. Um, Another example that I always like to go back to uh, is the September 11th, terrorist attacks in new york so after that you know the normal before was airplane security was a little bit more lax and the normal after was more heightened and more stringent security we ex we as a society accepted the fact that hey when we go to an airport all of our belongings are going to get checked right and so we accepted that and we all like it because it just kind of prevent it, it, it makes the whole overall flying experience a lot safer and so after this i'm trying to think like well you know, maybe there will be more health measures that are going to be taken into consideration, you know?
0: Sure, there's, there's lots of different ways it could change. So we'll get into that. And, and by the way, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend about half the podcast talking about, you know, the new normal and where the market is and buy or sell. Then we're going to spend half of the podcast, give or take, talking about cannabis and just some updates, what's been going on, some interesting stuff with Harvest, with Ianthus, uh, with Illinois, um, with Aurora and with IIPR so we'll touch on that on the back half. Okay. So new normal, really, I think what we're trying to answer is a couple of things. First is what will uh, life and the economy look like um, coming out of this? And how long will it take to readjust to how we were pre-COVID? And in what ways will we change that we may never go back to where we were pre-COVID, right? So In a nutshell, I would say that the current uh, strength you're seeing in the market is really like a sugar high. So I think that there was a period of panic where we were, you know, every day, every hour, there was something new happening. And we were we were like glued to the TV and, you know, watching Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau or whoever give an hour long talk about uh, COVID and and what was happening. Um, And, you know, somewhere in that panic, you saw stocks falling off a cliff. And then, you know, the Fed came in, the U.S. government came in, um, crazy, unprecedented, you know, monetary and federal policy to keep everybody afloat, just handing out money by the bucket full to businesses. Um, And I think what that did is that really kind of stopped the bleeding, right? And and people felt like, okay, there's no more risk of anybody going broke immediately because of COVID. Yeah. And,
1: you know, I want to further add to that point. So one thing you mentioned on earlier um, was sort of the market, I guess you're you're touching on the market rally, right? Um, So sentiment did change in the market rally, sorry, in in the markets. Like people were now Mm -hmm. not, the the threat of COVID wasn't as imminent to the market as it was, let's say about three or four weeks back. Um, But I also think that the market now has looked at it as, looked at sort of the whole, um, all the companies in it and said, you know what? all the world leaders are putting their heads together, they're throwing as much money as they possibly can at this, and they're going to bail them out. And a lot of people that I'm speaking with have that sort of sort of uh, perspective. And what's that? What's what's causing that is Or sorry, what's what's being caused as a result of that is that people are starting to get more positive in not only like high quality names, but they're also looking at higher riskier, like riskier assets Um, because falsely people think that the fed and the governments can actually save this economy.
0: Yeah. So so you're saying you think that's a false belief.
1: I mean, it's tough to say whether it's a false belief or not a false belief. Um, I, I, I think that you're building a founda- You're building a house of cards on a weak foundation, right? We haven't solved the underlying problem. I really don't think that a lot of the major companies are going to go bankrupt. And I don't think it's going to be like anarchy on the streets. I, I, I don't feel that we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, I don't know if we will, but I, I don't think we will. And so with that, I really think that all the liquidity, all the money, all the stimulus that's being pumped in um, is sort of alleviating a lot of the concerns that investors have. And so because of that they're sort of coming they're flocking back into the markets, right? You're seeing I think 2 weeks ago was when we did our last podcast. If you look at Air Canada, Air Canada's rallied about like like 10-15% since then. Um it's gone up quite a bit and nobody's flying anywhere. So
0: Right. Right. I, I don't so the, know, we can we know the fundamentals are not improving. Right. But it's just that this uh, this safety net, essentially, but the Fed is providing, right? They're right. saying nobody's going to go bankrupt overnight because of COVID. We're here to backstop that. Exactly, exactly. That, and I and
1: I really feel that that's the case. I mean, that's going to have, again, a lot of unintended consequences. Uh, one being asset bubbles are going to continue to form or even inflate because, you know, prior to all this, we did have some, some uh, sort of trepidation in the credit markets anyways. And so now this is just sort of fueling that. Um, but that's we could touch on that another we can touch on that later when we when when we see even more money get pumped to the markets
0: yeah so so look I mean you're bringing up a good point here, which is that um, what what the Fed is doing is going to have a lot of unintended consequences that's a good point, point. and you know what they started by doing is starting at the highest level of the quality curve and moving down, so you know not to get too technical but they're talking about now the fact that they're moving into um, higher risk uh, uh, corporate bonds, right? So higher yield stuff. So what people are able to do is essentially anything that was trading like it might go broke, um, which obviously means it trades at a steep discount. If you were, somebody called it front running them. So if you were able to buy something in, in, in any sector and then the Fed comes in and says, hey, we're going to start buying you know, this sector, uh, you make money because you were buying something on the cheap because it looked like it might go broke and the fed is coming in and saying nobody's going broke right? right now so this is a so this strategy makes sense if if you're an investor this should give you a lot of comfort every investor right because they are giving a lot of support to the market and and that's good however what you have to look at is that if you believe that the economy is going to reopen and it's like a light switch. You just sort of, we flicked it off. We're going to wait 30 or 45 days. We're going to flick it back on and go back to, you know, exactly how it was before. Then today's prices are cheap because they're still about 20% below the highs that we had in January or February. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you believe, like I believe that the economy will be fundamentally different and that it's not a light switch, you know, you can you can turn it off quickly, but turning it back on is like a knob. It, it's slow and gradual. Then today's prices are probably still way too expensive for your taste, and you would rather sit in cash and wait than jump in um, now, right? So it's kind of, forget the FOMO, it's really about being patient and waiting. And so I want to point you to what I think are some sort of leading indicators as to why things are changing and will change. So the first is, um, and Abby, you and I have talked about this: is the unemployment numbers. Okay, so the unemployment numbers uh, that come out each week on Thursday for the U.S. really, really important because what this is is this is the uh, uh, basically the EI claim, the un- unemployment claims. So what this is is it's somebody new who's who had a job who was laid off or fired and they're filing for unemployment for essentially the first time uh, since being laid off. So what that means is that if you have somebody file this week, uh, they won't file next week. It's only the number of new people is what the number that you get. Okay. So why this number is really important is that in the height of 2008, in one week, the maximum new number of people we had file for EI was 600,000, okay? The first week of COVID, that number was 3 million. So the first week of COVID was five times the worst week of 08, right? And the second week of COVID was 6.6 million. So it doubled the first week. And the third week, which we just had, was another 6 million. So that is an insane number of people to file for EI in the US. It's about 16 million uh, a little more than 16 million in three weeks. And you want to put that, my into, guess is yeah, sorry, ahead. I was going
1: to say, if you want to put that into perspective, because some people hear 16 million, they're like, oh, that's a pretty big number. That's half of Canada's population. Think about that. <laughs> that's insane. Like, think about that. Right. That's insane. It's, yeah. It's uh, it's half it's alarming. Of Canada's population. Right.
0: Yeah. No. It, yeah. Right. Alarming is is the right word. Right. I mean, those are. And that's, that's tragic. Those are people who, for the most part, you know, probably did nothing wrong and just their business slowed down or their industry was shut down and they're suddenly out of work. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you said.
0: Yeah. So so you've got 16 million people today is uh, April 13th. It's Monday night. So we'll see again this week, what the jobless claims are. My guess is it's going to be another record breaking number and, Now, when I say that, I don't—I don't mean it has to go to seven or eight million. I mean, you know, we have to remember the context. Like the previous high in in two thousand and eight was six hundred thousand. So even the first number that we had of three million was five times the previous record. Like that is mind bogglingly high, right? And now we've just had ten times the previous record again for two weeks in a row now. Mm -hmm. So even if we get another three or four million people filing. Uh, who report this week? That is like that is a gigantic number, right? Don't take solace in the fact that it comes down; it's still a giant number. So, right. especially when you're taking an aggregate, too, right? Yeah, because it keeps adding up, right? Great point. It, it, it these people, the six point six million people who filed, they're not finding work this week, right? Nobody's no. hiring, or very few places are hiring. It's very, very difficult, right? Um, okay, so huge unemployment. That to me is one of the worst possible. Things you can have. Hold
1: on, hold on, Manish. Before we pass on this point, I do want to say you're right. The the unemployment numbers are alarming, but you have to remember there's also been a stimulus package that's been unprecedented, like something we didn't see in 2008. It's been the largest stimulus package that's been printed um, since in in the history. Um, mm-hmm. So that d- has done some to alleviate it. I'm not I'm not justifying this in any way. I'm not saying you know it's it's, uh, it's unfortunate the the unemployment number is as high as it is, but the reason that the in 2008, when you had those large uh, unemployment numbers, there was no government stimulus at the time. Right. So it was basically like free market where the people who are unemployed were all, all like could have either a ran a cash um, or B were just relying on on their own funds. Whereas right now, you know, in Canada, you're going to get $2,000 from the government. Um, th- there's already benefits or sorry, there's already pro relief programs put into place. And because there's those relief programs put into place, you won't see the the initial impact um, in the economy as imminently as you did in 2008. So if you're wondering, it'll you know, drop
0: in the blow, essentially.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, but the numbers are still really bad. Um, but the impact is, it's going to be different than 2008. So when you draw parallels 2008, um, you just got to be mindful of that, that this is going to be, you know, those, those numbers aren't going to be until about six, like, I don't, I don't want to say six months, but here in Canada, you get four months, I believe, $2,000 from CERB. And, once that runs out, then what happens,
0: right? No, well, look, I mean, I think if this thing was to keep going, they would just extend the benefit. I mean, governments have stepped up and said, "We will do whatever it takes. We will spend whatever we have to spend uh, to try to alleviate some of the pain." Right. So, right. so no question. And and look, I think you're making a good point, Abby, which is, it it's you have to be careful comparing this to 08 because they're just fundamentally different things.
1: They are, right. right? And
0: And in 08, for example, when I said 600K was the peak, uh, that being said, if you look at it, there's like an extended period of time. I think it's like, I don't know, six months or 12 months where the numbers, the unemployment numbers keep going up. Right. So you kind of have these like, you know, 600K is your peak, but you could have had 550 and 500 before that and five fifty, you know, 450 before that. So it was still a lot of pain. Right. It went Um, to like
1: 9% unemployment down in the States, right? And yeah, so so, so
0: numbers I was reading was was the peak was give or take ten percent, and there's always some variance because they're calculated sure. sort of different ways. But roughly ten percent was the peak in oh um, in eight oh nine, and that and equates
1: roughly to about thirty million people.
0: Is that is that what it works out to? Because it's well, remember three hundred and four, right? No, no. Oh, right, it's, right. It's right. The not, not the general population. population. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have to be careful with those numbers. Yeah. But so something to think about. We had. The U.S. had 10%, give or take, unemployment at the peak, okay? Uh, just in January, February, we got down to about 3% unemployment, right? I think just above that. So it took roughly 10 years to go from 10% to 3% unemployment, right? So if you look at it, I mean, that's less than 1% a year, right? Right now, they think the U.S. is somewhere around 12-ish percent unemployment, and in the next month, that could go up to between 15 and 20%, depending wow. on what the new numbers look like, okay? Now, they, again, the idea is that's temporary. And as the economy starts to reopen, some of these people will start to go back to work. So I don't think we're going to be stuck at 15 to 20% employment for a super long time. Um, but Abby, to your point about, hey, people are certainly going to start getting money from the government. That's true, and that helps. And I think, by the way, the government should be doing that. I mean, I think people need to eat; they need to survive. So we have to do something, right? I think that that's very apparent. Um, The second point, so we touched on unemployment numbers, right? Sorry, sorry. The finishing point is that just that when we when we go up to fifteen to twenty percent unemployment, I think it's going to take us a very long time to get back to like a five percent unemployment, right? Like we'll get a lot of it back, kind of, you know, quicker than normal as starts the, parts of the economy start to restart. Um, but I don't think it's going to be easy for us to just to shift back into full gear. Like, I really right. think it's going to be a slow grind to chip away at unemployment. And so that's why I think it could take quarters, years. Like, this will be a something that we're dealing with for years to come, I think, right? And, and that's sure. why because we're not going to go from 15% unemployment back down to 5% in only two quarters. That's my uh- feeling.
1: Exactly, and there's another thing that I don't know if this is in your notes to to to, uh, to chat on as well, but um, all these, all the stimulus, all this uh, bailout, whatever you want to call it, that's absolutely necessary at this moment has to be paid back, right? Which means there's going to be inflation right. as well as higher taxes. That's going to impede the recovery, uh, the rate of recovery, and essentially prolong it as well. So couple of that yeah, with and, the and fact, and, yeah, couple yeah, of that with the, the fact that yep. we're not going to come back on. Um, uh, Sorry, you're saying?
0: Yeah, but uh, just uh, so the reopening question we'll touch on later. But um, with regards to asset values, I mean, the one silver lining, if you will, for investors is when they lower interest rates and pump out money, um, what that means in the future is that you're going to have asset inflation, which I think you were talking about earlier, Abby, about price bubbles and stuff. So mm-hmm. I do think, uh, like, you know, I'm very pessimistic short and medium term but ultimately i actually do see this a lot like 08 and i think what will happen is that things will take longer to readjust and it'll be a much slower recovery than people are sort of pricing in but ultimately if you look at 08 um, you know the downturn of 08 which is very very painful led us to a basically 10 year expansionary cycle right because of things like low interest rates so I think we will see something similar this time around. I don't know if it'll take 10 years. I think it'll probably be more like two years of downtime and then you know, some extended um, boom time. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's seven, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do think we're setting up that same sort of story where we're going to go down and then we're going to go up you know, slowly, slowly. But I mean, asset prices just have to keep rising if you're printing money like crazy and if you have interest rates at near zero. I mean, it's just it's just very helpful for asset values. Right, right. So let me just touch on the second point, then we can go to the third one, which, which was about actually the economy reopening. Uh, but the second point, and Abby, this, this talks about what you mentioned about helicopter money and, and stimulus, is that even if you give people money, even if you give them a government check for the same amount of money they were earning before, right? I think you're going to see a huge decrease in spending for uh, just personal households, but also businesses. So absolutely.
1: I mean, just, mm -hmm. just to add to that, I I absolutely will. And the reason for that is people aren't going to be as confident in the, for for the future. The reason that consumer discretionary spending was up so high was because, you know, we had a pretty robust economy and everybody was confident. People felt good.
0: People just felt good.
1: Exactly. And another way to look at those we touched about the unemployment numbers. Um 3% unemployment. If people are wondering, well how do I interpret that? It basically means if you want a job, you have a job, right? That's what that that's what that means. That's full employment in the economy. And so yeah, everybody exactly. who wants to work is working and they can bank on their paycheck and they know so they don't they don't save as much, you know. Kind of I mean, like put, I put that another way.
0: Put that another way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put that another way, uh 97% of what they consider the employable population mm-hmm. is employed 97%. I mean that is unreal. Like that 3% is almost like the margin of error. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like at any, at any given time, right? So it's 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 weird to think about it that way, but you know, maybe and and that's another question too is 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 3% a sustainable unemployment number? Right, that seems like absurdly low. It seems like a super tight labor market, right? Well, it was right because
1: if we we touched on this, I think in one of our uh, episodes early in the summer, Um, it was it was a very tight labor market. So if you wanted a job, you had a job, and then that contributed to wage inflation, which means not only did you have a job, you were getting paid slightly more money, Um, and then ultimately that was going to play on. You were in high demand. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, labor like human human labor was in high demand. Absolutely. Yeah, for Um, sure. Employers were paying more. And then, you know, that was that was sort of the looming um, thought on um, a recession. What was going to hurt?
0: Yeah, what well, was going to hurt company earnings? Yeah, because then you know
1: earnings, yeah, earnings <laughs> you know, go down a little bit. Then because earnings right. go down, then the business cycle sort of rolls over, and that that was kind of like the threat at the time. And then now we just right. got this, 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 this invisible threat yeah. that now um, wage inflation eat.
0: doesn't seem so bad.
1: No, no, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore. Okay, so. So uh, I watched, by the way, the CNBC interview with Bill Gates, um, which was a good thirty-minute interview on you know various types of things to do with COVID and the economy. And uh, one thing he said, and this was almost like a throwaway line, because they asked him about investing, and and he kind of said, "Look, I'm not really focusing on that right now." Um, but he did talk about you know investors are pricing things in as if things will just snap back, and and he said he had a, a term he used, which I thought was great, which was he said like investor, uh, consumers won't have the same animal spirits that they had before. Right. And I think that what he's referring to is really just sort of the base for human instincts of, you know, you feel good, you feel confident, you know, you got a good job, money's coming in, you know, even if you don't have all the savings in the world, you're willing to take some risk, right. right? You're willing to, you're willing to go buy that little bit of a bigger house. You're go. You're willing to go. You know, buy that nicer car. Go on that vacation. Take have larger that night out.
1: Take larger positions in
0: cannabis companies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> spend all of your disposable yeah. income on speculative cannabis companies with which no revenue. Which is probably
1: which is probably appropriate for our listener base here. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. But you know, this is this is the key thing is that we don't really understand all of the pressures that are acting on us until they're removed and we're in a different time in a different world. Right. And I'm sure there's a lot of people now who are thinking about, you know, when I had made all that money on paper on cannabis, you know, if I was where I am today, I would have sold in a heartbeat. I would have sold way faster. Right. If I suddenly didn't have a job or was worried about not having a job, I never would have gambled with my money like that. Oh, for sure. Right. So but the, the point The broader point is about spending is even if people have the same amount of money, which they won't, but even if they did, that appetite for consumption won't be there as much. Um, And ultimately in Canada and the US, consumers drive somewhere between 60 and 70% of the economy. So if you took away anything to do with COVID and just said to me that, consumers are going to feel worse this year and they're going to spend even like 20% less, I would say that would have huge implications negatively for the economy. Because right. every so- dollar that you know the average person spends gets recycled over and over again uh, because of the chain of of interactions that happen behind that initial spend, right? So you spend a dollar, the waitress gets a dollar, the busboy gets a dollar, everybody gets some money that they go and they spend sort of further down the chain, which helps keep the economy growing. Right. And so Manish, I
1: do want to add that there is actually an index that tracks this. It's called the Consumer Confidence Index. Um, Sure. And, you know, that's since I've been working, since I've been employed and you 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 yourself as well, if you're followed that index, it's basically been going up every year. Like consumers are more and more confident each year. Right. So whenever I looked at that number, I never really knew how to relate to it. It was just like, oh, it's a number that always goes up. Okay, great. Like what is consumer confidence? I've never been in a market where, you know, there wasn't any confidence. And now just what you just touched on saying if I was not un- if I was not employed in this market, I would have acted differently in the sense that I would take a lot more risk off as well as sell my investments. That's just sort of clicked on me. It was like a little bit of a light bulb being like, Oh, that's the consumer confidence uh, index. And if that starts going down, then basically how we're feeling right now is how you should equate to it. Right. So when you're saying that if, if you were, if somebody was to tell you that, Hey, next year, consumer confidence is down 20%, you'd be like, Oh, okay, I'm going to take some risk off the table. Um, now you can actually go like, oh, I know exactly what that feels like. I need to take a lot of risk off the table.
0: Yeah. F- funny enough, Abby. So just while you were saying that, I just I just Googled consumer confidence index just to see where it is. Yeah. Um, and this one came up for Canada. And uh, Canada in March was 53 points. You know, whatever that means, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> it was 53 points. And for April, it's 35 points. Holy. So it's down, almost, it's down almost 20 points. Which is like 40%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah when i when I look at the ten year uh or the five year graph uh yeah i mean in twenty sixteen I think with oil and stuff it dipped down to maybe like forty five briefly before it came back up and now it's down to thirty five so it's like a a chart it's like falling off a cliff essentially yeah, where it is right now
1: absolutely absolutely, and like look even in twenty sixteen when it pulled back um I do remember that pullback actually, and it was because of oil as well the pref market pulled back that year or the year prior um even even with that, like it didn't pull back to to the degree that we're seeing it now, where now it's like, oh my God, like, you know, um, luckily I'm still employed. And so even with that, like the way that I'm, if somebody was to ask me how I feel about the future, even we were talking about it right before this, it's like, mm, I don't know how I feel about the future,
0: you know? Right. Exactly. Everybody's paychecks look a lot less certain if you're still getting paychecks. Absolutely. Right. So, so that to me says spending is going to go absolutely down the drain. Um, you know, people still have to spend money like we all understand that. Right. But uh, I think people are going to find a way to, you know, stretch the dollars that they have. Um, put it this way. I don't think anybody's going to be uh, very excited to buy the new iPhone and spend twelve hundred dollars on a phone. Uh, I think people will will think very carefully about that decision and they'll make their old phones last longer. Right. And and um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. But unfortunately, it's very bad for the economy. Yeah. So what that why that's really, really important is because when we talk about the new normal, that will, I think, be the new normal for for, I think, you know, well over a year, maybe two years. Right. Is people will think twice before spending and they're going to be careful with their dollars and that will have a very real impact on company earnings. Even, you know, if all the COVID stuff was over tomorrow, um, people will think, I think earnings will get reined in a lot by the consumer companies, which is almost all of them, by the way,
1: the, sorry, say that again. They're almost all the, sorry, I just didn't catch that. Like consumer, all...
0: consumer spending drives almost the entire economy is my point, right? Even if, you oh, for sure, a... for sure.
1: Both consumer staples and consumer discussionary are going to be, are right. going to be, and even utilities to that point, like, um,
0: Indirectly, it affects a lot of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, here, here's a fun little uh, bellwether, by the way, Abby. And this goes to the next point about reopening the economy. Um, let's say COVID is over tomorrow. Um, how soon would you go back to Vegas?
1: Let's say COVID is... Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm a bad person to use this for because I'm not a fan of Vegas. Um, okay. But but I get what the analogy is trying to say. Um for me, let's I guess say the answer big would be, vacation. Yeah, big let's vacation. let's say New York because New York is like you know it's closer closer here. It's in our time zone. I can do that in a weekend. Um, I spend basically about the same amount of money there as I would in Vegas, anyways. Uh, how soon would I go back on vacation? Um, not 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 that soon, man. I think I think I th- I
0: think it would take at like least like twenty
1: twenty to write off, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I I was even saying like Q three twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, like maybe a year, maybe the back half of 21, you'd think about something like that. But I I think, and this goes to the point about what does reopening the economy mean? I think even if you were going to go, you would really think about it 10 times. Like you would think, okay, what am I going to do? Is it worth me going? You know, what's it going to look like when I'm there? Because, you know, if, if I'm the only one there, is it like, that's why I say Vegas, because Vegas is very much a tourist destination. But if you're the only one in Vegas, like if it's very sparsely populated, it's no fun. Right? The fun thing about Vegas is the people, right? right so right. if you go there and it's like 10% of what it normally is, you're probably not having that good of a time, I would guess, right? And and you know, let, let's talk about Vegas for a second cuz I was reading a great article about um, you know, what the future of Vegas might look like. And realistically, I mean, you're not going to have any nightclubs in Vegas. You're not going to have any nightlife probably. Um it's going to be very hard to even you know, like I like to play poker when I go to Vegas. Like, it's gonna be hard to even have a poker table, right? Because you can't fit ten people, um, you know, each sitting six feet apart, right? There's just not enough room around the table for for right. you to do that, right? So, uh, even you have to think about all these things. Of even if they reopen everything tomorrow, how are they going to do it with social distancing, right? And and until there is a vaccine, uh, it doesn't seem that there is going to be any return to the way things were. It's really going to have to, That's gonna, once we have everybody vaccinated, then we can sort of start going back to the way things were.
1: Yeah, I mean, a vaccine is, I, I keep hearing mixed things about the vaccine. Like I hear that there's an antibodies thing that's happening as well as a vaccine that's happening. Um, there's some articles saying the vaccine is months away. There's some that's saying it's within 12 months there's some that's saying it's you know year like a year plus away. So um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one to answer.
0: I think if we had a vaccine that was distributed around the world by the end of 21, we would doing be doing very well. So that like would we be just like put a year it, they, they just put it in your drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> you just drink it. Yeah, they they asked that in the movie Contagion. Actually, they said, "Oh, can I haven't we, seen that in we... a while. I
1: should watch that."
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's actually a trip to watch it because um, they you know, so many of the terms, like what they do in the movie is almost exactly what we're doing now, like social distancing and stuff like that, right? And, and yeah. uh, I, I listened to a podcast actually with the writer and, and one of the scientists who were um, behind Contagion. And they talked about the fact that the reason it's so eerily similar is because they tried to make the movie realistic. So it didn't follow all the normal Hollywood stuff. And it really was drawing upon, um, uh, you know, science of what scientists say you should do in a pandemic.
1: Well, the the best the be- I, I saw this one meme. I don't know if it's in like the only thing I really re- I've seen Contagion a long time ago, and I remember one scene where Gwyneth Paltrow gets like her head cut off or something like sl- like for anyways, and I was like, oh, this is weird. Spoiler um, alert.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> That's like in the first. By the way, the movie came out like all. ten years I don't think ago. It happens at all in the movie.
1: <laughs> it does. It, uh, it I don't does. think it anybody cuts their head, the head first like, in the movie. I swear, Gwyneth Paltrow. You know what? Let's have a bet. I bet you anything. There's a surgeon right, that cuts fly Gwyneth fly Paltrow's head. Point. Um, and then the other the, the the thing that I wanted to say with with Contagion, actually, you know, this was like a, a funny meme on Instagram where somebody was like, "Next time you have a zombie apocalypse movie, there needs to be a significant portion of the population that just denies it." I was like, yeah.
0: "Oh, that's so <laughs> funny! That's so funny." That actually kind of is con- in contagion. I don't want to keep going on, but but uh, that actually I think is in contagion. There, there's a whole thing about disinformation, so it was pretty prescient. Oh, that's um, pretty cool. Okay, so so look, this is the last topic on on COVID for now. When will we re- when will we reopen, and what does reopening mean? So I think that. Um, we keep trying to rush the reopening because everybody wants to reopen. But the reality is, um, unless you just want to let this thing have a resurgence, you have to really shut down for a longer period of time. So I think in Canada, Toronto, we're going to be reopening somewhere between June 1st and July 1st. And I think it's going to be a phased approach. I think, you know, if you can get people tested for the antibodies and they already have, they've already had COVID, you know, we can give them a bracelet, get them back to work. But a lot of things just aren't going to happen for a long time. Things like travel, things like conferences, things like, you know, NBA games. We're just not going to be see you know, concerts. We're not going to be seeing a lot of those right. um, big events for, for basically until we get the vaccine or mm-hmm. until everybody can, you know, have the antibody test and show they have it. So. That is the, in my opinion, the new normal is that it's going to be longer than we think to reopen and then reopening will be a lot slower than we think.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a phased approach. Um, before we, is this the last subject before we go
0: into the cannabis stuff? Yeah, sure. We could wrap up the, the COVID part.
1: Well, no, no, no. It, it, if there's something else, let me know. Because there, there's one thing that I did want to sort of t- touch base on too, which is very mm-hmm. important for the investing landscape right now. And that's just sort of oil and oil prices. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if you followed this at all. I've, I've been, I've been tracking it lately. Over the weekend, there was this massive announcement that, you know, OPEC was going to cut 20 million barrels, which is the largest cut uh, in history, in the history of OPEC. And for some reason, oil didn't move at all. Like it didn't, like, I don't know if it was priced in, I don't, I don't know what's going on, or if people think that, hey, even though they cut, it's like going back to game theory, which you and I love to talk about, that people are going to cheat, and they're not going to cut as much. Um Anyways, just some food for thought. If you are investing in if you are investing in this market, keep that into consideration when you're looking at stocks. Oil tends to have a pretty big impact on, you know, especially in Canada, uh, how the Canadian markets do, and then even broader it does as well. And so, if you're if you're looking at it, I mean, and if you have any insight as to why you you think it didn't move or, um, or what your thoughts are on it, feel free to share it with our to our email.
0: Yeah. So uh, my guess is that, uh, and, and I follow oil very little but my guess was that uh it jumped i think pretty significantly when trump had tweeted that he was in discussions with uh um russia as well as uh saudi arabia right um and i think i think it just sort of recovered from there and then this news was essentially priced in um which to me is pretty silly if that's if that is the case because it means 23
1: dollars a barrel
0: yeah like it rallied from a tweet right and then it it, But maybe you're right. Maybe there is a, a level of skepticism basically right now that people think, you know, they want to see it before they believe it, maybe. I, I don't know. Like, I, to, to be
1: honest, I, I fully thought that after that, <clears throat> after that announcement, I thought, I thought it was going to go up to 30 bucks. Right. It, it would make right, sense, right. right? It would, if you cut, like, I think if you look at the OPEC numbers, if you could take off that many barrels, a $30 oil price is warranted easily. And then on, on top of that, you can, it'll start fueling, um, no pun intended, but it'll start fueling the oil price back up.
0: Yeah, I mean uh I think there's legitimate concern about what will the demand be like for oil. Right? I mean, people aren't driving their cars very much right now.
1: No, but people are ordering a lot from Amazon. The supply chains for the grocery store still still require yeah, it. Yeah, no no
0: question, no question, but it's again, funny. I don't Yeah, it's funny. That, I don't have like a, the actual Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, the thing that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle, right? But another yeah. piece of the puzzle is people aren't driving to work anymore and they're not, you know, they're not driving all the places they were driving before.
1: I, yeah, I remember, I mean, don't, don't quote me on this, but this is something that I vaguely remember. When when we look, when you look at the oil consumption pie, it was like less than 9 to 10% was actually consumer consumption. The other like 90% was, you know, well, I guess, you know what? Airplanes aren't flying either, so never
0: mind. Yeah, You're that's right. that's a big one. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. That's a big one. Okay, so, I mean, let, let's leave it there for the new normal part of it, right? And uh, just to sort of wrap up my theory on it, it's that things are way... Way overpriced because people are uh, overly optimistic that the new normal will look a lot like the old normal and we'll get there very quickly. And I just don't think we will, but right. we'll see. Let's see week by week. But what that means is right now, not buying anything, mostly For in sure. cash, sure. sitting and waiting. Sorry, so one, let's, one, let's talk one, about sorry. cannabis.
1: Sorry, one last sure, thing man. about the, sure. about the new normal. Uh, this is something that I've been hearing a lot on the news and on uh, different internet forums as well. That China might be the new superpower going forward. Right, so. That already kind of, if that happens, that already kind of shows that, you know, the U.S. not being uh, the world leader um, and the largest superpower, that China might be it, you know, kind of has a big shift towards going back to the old normal.
0: Yeah, maybe. I I mean, look, what I would say, though, is I think this will end up being a huge negative for China in a couple of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, the world was shifting towards China. Right. I mean, nothing is made basically in any Western country anymore. We've shipped all of our manufacturing to China and we kind of accepted the fact that this is globalization and is what it is. And what all of this has taught us is basically like, no, we have to basically fend for ourselves. Um, And, you know, every country is kind of buying into the idea of um, uh, almost protectionism, which is we have to have our own supply chains locally. You know, right. we can't rely on other people for our PPE equipment or whatever, right? So right. this happens to be a health pandemic, but, you know, apply that same type of thinking to, you know, I don't know, climate change or some kind of natural disaster, right? And you start going, okay, we need to have, you start making a list of things you, you need to have produced in your own country, right? Um, and I think PPE equipment, no doubt, is going to be on that list now, right? Um that's all taking away from globalization. Globalization was helping countries like China, so right. I'm not so sure. Um, I agree with you. There's, there's, you know, winners and losers in all of this, but it's too soon to tell what's what, in my opinion. So yeah, we'll that, that's
1: a very that, that's actually really interesting point. They didn't really talk, touch too much on that on CNN, but uh, I never really considered that uh, that that uh, perspective of like whole economic na- nationalism sort of playing a big role in sort of hindering China's growth. But
0: you're right. Well, listen, topic for another day. So let's go into cannabis. So a couple episodes ago, we talked about kind of what's going on in cannabis. And I said pretty flatly, I'm not super excited about what's happening. Um, You know, look, I'm still very interested in the space. Still want to invest my money there. And by the way, uh, in these down markets, speculative investments get hammered the most, right? So I've said before, you know, I'd rather go down the middle than play on the edges. But when things get bleak enough for cannabis, Um, Then you're able to buy good quality names at a real discount. That gives you your opportunity for these huge outsized gains, you know, for your two, three, four, five X times returns, similar to the returns people got in the beginning of cannabis when there was a significant risk premium associated with it. So um, definitely a space to keep your eye on. However, what we're seeing right now is a lot of bad news um, which is not just news; it it really is a reflection of the fundamental businesses and the fundamental issues in the cannabis space. So uh, we got a couple to touch on, but you know I'll start with with just two um, in the U.S. And the first one is Harvest Health and Recreation, which I've been cautious on for a while now. Finally announced that they are not completing their deal with Verano. This is super super disappointing. Um, they spent a lot of time trying to uh, consummate this deal. Verano is one of the top and only producers actually in Illinois. So this was really going to be a crown jewel for harvest and they are no longer getting that deal done. Really bad news for harvest. Um, Probably decent news for Verano. And if you could buy into that company, it would be worth looking at. Um, Ianthus, which was in a lot of ways similar to harvest and and had kind of slipped to the lower quality uh, name on my list. Mm -hmm. They defaulted on their Gotham green uh, financing. So they raised about $60 million um, from Gotham green last year. And that was at 13% plus warrants. um, And they said they made the strategic decision to not pay their interest on that loan. Um, That's a really bad sign for for Ianthus. They also um, had previously been in dispute with another debt holder of theirs. uh, But it looks like now that's going to go to some kind of workaround, right? So, Will Gotham Green allow them to restructure? You know, how friendly is it? How hostile is it? We don't know. Uh, but Ianthus and Harvest were two of the bigger MSOs and, and, you know, used to be considered really top tier a while ago. So this is really bad news for the cannabis sector in general because it makes the whole space look bad.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, you never want to see anyone missing out on uh, interest payments, but uh Especially when, they're, especially when they're like leaders too, right? In space.
0: Well, and liquidity is about to run really, really dry. Like there's almost no money available for anybody, especially cannabis names. Um, and I think Harvest and Ianthus are really going to be on the chopping block now. So, you know, the silver lining in all of this, as we, we were saying, you know, before all this stuff started, we were, we were talking about a cannabis shakeout that was going to come. Um, still happening. In fact, if anything, it's accelerated. Uh, maybe two or three times faster than it normally would have been because of what COVID is doing to you know liquidity in all markets. So when Harvest goes down and Ianthus go down, and by the way, I think they are going down, um, it just leaves more pie for everybody else essentially. But every time one of these companies underperforms or does something wrong, it makes it harder for everybody else because in the short term, people have a hard time differentiating between who's a good player and who's a bad player. They just sort of lump everybody together. Um, So it's problematic. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, some good news. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was um, from some of our our friends. Uh, They they sent me this link for Illinois' numbers. And Illinois had some really encouraging numbers. Uh, Illinois, as a reminder, it only went legal uh, January 1st, 2020. right Uh, And... You know, thank God they did get it in uh, and they did legalize it now because, you know, otherwise it probably would have been delayed, right? Um, yeah. yeah. With, with all this COVID stuff. So they had in their first month, $40 million U.S. of sales, which is very, very encouraging for their first month. Okay. Yeah. So it turns out that was recreational only. It was not also including the medical sales. Holy. So it turns out, it turns out the actual number was closer to 65 million U.S., January. In just the month of January? Just the month of January. That's insane. That's actually insane. So check this out. So the first three months, they did about 188 million US, which is roughly 250 million Canadian. And if you annualize that, that would be a billion dollars Canadian in the first year of legalization for Illinois. Okay. That would be essentially what all of Canada did Mm-hmm. last year all of canada did about 1.2 billion last year right um, but it is but important remember, to know was- it yeah, is okay.
1: important to note that illinois uh legalized everything whereas canada only did dry flour right
0: great point um illinois has everything so they have flour they have um they have edibles they have vapes the you know the whole you know basically every format um that you would expect is there uh, the other thing too is in Illinois, the price point is significantly, significantly higher. So it's not necessarily not necessarily that they're selling more cannabis, but it could just be that the price point is much higher. So that inflates the sales numbers. Uh, not to take anything away from them because people actually still spent that money. In fact, it's a good thing. People are willing to pay more for the cannabis, uh, but it just sometimes skews how you might look at it, right? Because they only have I think 45 dispensaries in all of Illinois right now and they're slowly opening more up. 45. Um, 45, that's it. That's, that's it. Not, and those that's, are the kind that's of numbers they are, actually,
1: because what, Illinois is about 11 million people. <clears throat> Sorry, 11 million it's people.
0: almost as, yeah, it's 12 million I think. So just 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 under the amount that uh, Ontario has.
1: 45 for 12 million, that seems that seems really low. But hey, look the numbers. Oh, it it is
0: no, it is low. It is low. But the the reason they even but remember on day one they had forty five, right? Right. So Ontario on day one had zero, and on month three had zero, and it wasn't until month six that we got our first dispensary open, right? So what Illinois had, which is great, is it had sort of a robust medical program, um, and then the recreation was built on top of that. So what that means is that. There were already operators in the market. There were already grows operational. There There's already dispensaries operational. And you were just upgrading that infrastructure. And that's a lot, as you can see, that can be a lot better of a system than just starting from zero, right? So transitioning from medical to rec is a lot smoother than going from zero to 100, right? So just for comparison, people are paying in Illinois sometimes between 15 and $20 US to buy a gram of weed. Okay. Now, to be That's fair, insane. in Canada, yeah, I mean that is insane. People are lining up to spend that kind of money on cannabis. That's great. Um, so that look that uh, uh, one of our uh, listeners actually wrote a question, which was which was uh, his name is Jung, uh, so shout out Jung. And um, his question was about what would make you excited for the cannabis space again, because you know we were we were pretty negative a couple episodes ago. And I said, look, things like that results. Illinois, having those kind of results in in a limited license state, that makes me excited for investing there because ultimately, as long as you have real results, um, and earnings, then, you know, that's something I can get behind.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That's the, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't argue with the fundamentals on there. Um, for my answer to Jung's question would be a little bit different. I want to see some defaults and I want to see some M&A happen. There are a lot of garbage companies out there that need to go under and you know, there's some good companies that can scoop them up and if once that happens then, you know, that's when I'm to, that's when I'll get reinvigorated.
0: Yeah, and I you know, that's a good point and I don't think we're too far off from that. Right? I think guys like Harvest and Ientis, when you see them um having these issues, that tells you you're getting pretty close. It's a ticking time bomb. Um, and unless the capital markets spring open again tomorrow, I think you're gonna have that same problem. Yeah, do you want to touch Abby on Aurora? on Aurora?
1: Yeah, yeah, so there was some uh, some exciting news. I don't know. there was there was some news that came out. I was uh, not too 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 thrilled about it, but Aurora is basically doing a twelve to one stock consolidation. Um, basically what that means is they're taking their number of shares outstanding, they're consolidating it by 12 to sort of bring the price up. Now, the reason I think that they're doing that is they do trade on the uh, the NYSE there, the uh, New York Stock Exchange. And because of that, the New York Stock Exchange has a rule where your 30-day trade price, um, sorry, your 30-day price level has to be approximately about a dollar US-ish. And uh, Aurora's not, well, Aurora was sort of at about eighty cents, so they're not really they were kind of in that in that area and so I think that's why they chose to do the twelve to one consolidation um I'm not really too impressed with with uh with Aurora as a company at all. I mean, you know they did that death spiral financing last summer. they've had some issues earlier this year uh and now this kind of gets added to it. The stock is already getting hammered. I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure what Aurora is doing. I know, I know they were under restructure. They got, um, uh, when they ousted the CEO uh, back in, I think it was January, late, late January, early February. I can't remember now. But um, yeah, there's there's just been a lot going on with Aurora. And then now you add in this, this stock consolidation where, you know, and typically after a stock consolidation, prices tend to decline, right? So this is expected to happen on, I think, April april i could be wrong i don't know manisha if you know that one
0: um no i'm I'm just looking at what they're doing um here but uh yeah i mean look we've we from the beginning said be very careful with canadian lps especially the biggest ones um and I, i mean aurora you know part of the reason the price slid so hard is because they announced that um they're doing another uh uh raise another atm facility so what this means is that Uh, you know, they probably burned through about $200 million in the last quarter. Uh, And they're just gobbling up cash. Yeah, they just cannot stop. Yeah, yeah, they can't stop eating, you know, burning through this cash. And like we've said before, you know, Aurora, in many ways, you know, did a lot of things right. But ultimately, they just never got that big money investment. Uh, They don't have the liquidity to be burning cash like this. And unfortunately the market is just not big enough to justify their size. So they've got, you know, even today when they're valued at whatever it is, a dollar or just under a dollar, um, the problem is, you know, it's still it's still valued at a billion dollars. It's just way, way too high. It's way too messy of a footprint. Um, ultimately I just I don't see how this company survives. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we talked about this, I mean, months ago when they when they cut their workforce. And we just said, you know, it's too little too late. Like they need to be shutting down facilities, laying off like half their staff. Um, and maybe they will, but they haven't done that. And, and this quarter they burned 200 million. I mean, it's inexcusable the amount of money they're burning. It's completely unacceptable.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's the market's focus on it too. Cause if you take a look at how the stock was doing today, I think it was down about 14%. Um, and you know, it's 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 it's
0: unfortunate it's unfortunate i mean like look we can only talk about aurora for so long um, 400 million it. dollars by the way was their last uh atm facility atm is just you know when you sell the company basically sells like you know a, a stock buyback is when a company buys shares back from the market right so mm-hmm. atm is the opposite it sells into the market right and it creates a lot of selling pressure essentially because it's constantly selling right right so so, I mean, 400 million was their last ATM facility. They've exhausted that already. I mean, mind-boggling how much money these guys have burned.
1: That's crazy. And I think, and you know what, that's just going to further further dilute the shareholders. And uh, if you're a shareholder for Aurora,
0: if you have a large position, like you should be pretty, you should be upset. I would say. Well, and and this is the thing with cannabis in the short term, and and I think you're going to see as it's already started. It's already happened, but you're going to see it happen really 2020. I think will be a brutal year for cannabis names uh, because I think you're just going to see capitulation. I think when guys like Aurora, Ianthus, Harvest, they're already circling the drain, the writings on the wall. I don't see how these guys turned around quickly. um, You know, unless they get some big government bailouts, which could happen actually in Aurora's case or Canopy's case, not Canopy because they've got all the cash, but you know, Aurora, for example, uh, unless they get government money, I just don't see how they're going to fix this. Because um, now with COVID, all of the the retail scale up that we had had hoped for and and were ready for, that's all on pause now, right? So mm-hmm. where are they? How are they going to grow into s- their spending of two hundred million dollars a quarter? There, there's no way they can do that. Um, and they've shown you know, a reluctance to make these really hard decisions to shut down facilities and mothball things and et cetera, et cetera. So they don't have the runway, right? They've got, I think, $200 million of cash right now. Uh, they announced another ATM facility for another 200. But the way they're burning money, I, I just, again, I, I don't see the way out for them. So unfortunately, what happens is um, Aurora is one of the most purchased stocks uh, on, on a thing called Robinhood. Robinhood is like a... Um, a uh, free way to buy stocks that yeah, a lot of discount trading used. platform. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Great way to say it. So uh, that's a big problem because it shows you that the people who don't necessarily know that much about the space, but are just kind of putting some money in, they probably took a beating on Aurora. Right. And a lot of institutional names probably put some money into Aurora because, you know, they're one of the biggest names. They were listed on the NYSE. NICE, they were listed on the TSX. You know, these are real exchanges, right? So, they probably owned um, Aurora. They probably owned Canopy. They probably owned CanTrust. And at a certain point, you know, when you get when you get punched enough times, you just say, you know what, I'm out of this. Forget it. You know, the sector's not for me. And they move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. So I think, in a large part, that has already happened. I think you're going to see a lot more of that happen in 2020, um, especially when you can buy the blue chip names at a discount. Mm-hmm. But the silver lining here, guys is that um, there will be opportunities to buy some of the best names um, at very, very attractive prices. And and arguably, they already are attractive now. Uh, but I think you're going to be able to really um, kind of clean up on some of these names when people just give up on the sector, which I think is imminent. I think it's coming, especially as we start to hit more um, creditor protection and, and issues like that.
1: Yeah. Speaking yeah, of, agree. by the
0: way, Speaking of, by the way, uh, just to wrap up, there was a short report on a company called IIPR, Innovative Industrial Properties REIT. Um, I'm going to touch it. Let's do an episode on this next time. We'll do maybe a special episode just on this um, because uh, I want to go through that report in some detail. Um, although, you know, might surprise some people that, um, you know, although it's a short report and it has some things which I don't agree with, I think it does actually have some good tidbits, uh, which are worth delving into. And I want to give it some special attention because you know I've got experience in the industrial real estate space. So I want to give some time to actually go through it. Um, but I don't think it's all sort of just nonsense. I think there's some real stuff there that we should discuss. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Abby, any closing thoughts?
1: Um, nothing really. I mean, I would really, really, really proceed with caution for anybody out there who's, uh, who's, who's trading the markets. Um, I'm one of those people that are trading the markets, but uh, yeah. I find, yeah, I, I find that uh, um, there's a difference between investing and trading. And lately I've been doing a lot more trading than I've been doing investing. Um, and investing is, you know, being sort of, Uh, optimistic about 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 the future. And uh, just with all the COVID stuff that's happening with everything you and I just discussed right now, COVID numbers kind of going up and um, or sorry, yeah, the COVID numbers going up and the economy taking a lot longer to come back to um, be be cautiously optimistic.
0: Or don't be optimistic at all.
1: No, no. You got to be optimistic. You got to be cautiously pessimist. And, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, we, don't need, we don't need any more pessimism. Pessimism is an all-time high in the market sentiment right now. So,
0: Well, we will see. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. This is The New Normal for uh, CIN Podcast. Send us your thoughts, your questions, Podcast at gmail.com.